fundamentally, what a VC is, is we are money managers. I am a glorified financial advisor, <laughs> right? That's all I am. Some wealthy person out there, a group of wealthy people gave me their money to make them more money. Right. That is my job. So if I'm talking to somebody, it's like you making those type of investments is charity, means they don't believe that these type of investments can make money. If you believe we can change the narrative, if you believe we can change our communities, if you believe we can change the outcomes, then we can change the world. I'm Rob Richardson. Welcome to Disruption Now. Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. If you're watching us here on YouTube, please hit that like button. Please hit that subscribe button. Uh, please actually join our website, disruptionnow.com. You can also follow us on any social media, Instagram, Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to interact with you. Uh, and we hope to hear from you very soon. We're about disrupting common narratives and constructs, and we hope you can join us in doing that. So with me here today, I'm honored to have Matt Conwell, um, who has been who is a rare breed, and he started a company called Rare Breed, a venture capital fund, actually, a pre-seed fund that invest that invests in exceptional founders outside of the traditional uh, ecosystem that exists for founders. Uh, and so he he his company uh, invests early in in people uh, in people that he sees a lot of potential in. And so uh, he's also been a founder, two-time founder. I understand uh, one had a successful exit, uh, the other one did not. And I'm sure we have a lot of great stories to talk about with that. So as a, as a founder myself, I am very interested in hearing his story uh, and learning about his, his path and his trials and his uh, triumphs. How you doing, Mac? I'm doing good, man. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Well, happy to have you, man. It's an honor to have you on. Uh, so let's, let's start with your experience as a founder, because I'm sure that informs a lot of what you do as a, as, as, with your own venture fund at this time. Uh, so you were, you had a successful exit and you had a not so successful, uh, exit. <laughs> so talk about what you learned from each. What did you learn from your failure and what did you learn from your success? So what did I learn? So the first one I learned, I didn't know anything, right? I, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. Like I didn't know what VCs were. I didn't know how to fundraise. I, I, I didn't even know what a startup was, right? Let alone all this other stuff. And so I spent, you know, the first two years of that company just learning the basics. Um, and eventually, you know, we were able to sell the IP off to the division of a Fortune 100 company, which was amazing, right? My second company, what I learned was I thought I knew everything and I didn't. Right. Um, so, you know, I spent every, I spent all that time with my first start learning how to do all this stuff. And so for my second company, I did everything right from a customer discovery, from getting early customers, from raising funding, all the kind of stuff you need to do that I tell entrepreneurs to do. And I, but I did it really quickly. So like in six weeks time, I had put a new team together raised angel round, got into an accelerator and like signed up a bunch of customers pre-product. Mm, okay. Sounds like a promising start. Yeah. Promising start. Everything's going in the right direction. And then two months into that accelerator, my CTO up and disappeared. And I didn't speak to that gentleman again for two years. Wow. Like he literally just disappeared. And, um, that, our product was never. That, your, your, your product scared. That would that would hurt me a lot if that happened to. <laughs> so go ahead. I'm just thinking you got me scared because I have a CTL relying on. Go ahead. Yeah. So like, and our product was never able to get back on track after that. Like we just wow. couldn't get the product right. Everything else was right. Like 
all the stuff I, I wasn't able to do with my first company early on, I figured out with the second company because I knew it. But that that team piece, I didn't put as much time into because my experience, my first starts with two of my best friends. Like I could trust them wholeheartedly. I took that same mindset working with a new team and, and, and bit me in the butt. Wow. Oh, I have so much to talk to you about that. So like I, we, so I'm, uh, I'm starting a uh, NFT uh, uh, platform and uh, it's going to be built on the, on the, on the flow blockchain, actually the same blockchain that's with the NBA top shop. We expect to be out by August. I say all that to say that my, my uh, CTO actually had a similar experience to to you. So hopefully he won't do it to me, but his, <laughs> he was actually, <laughs> I don't think he will. He was actually, cause I, cause I went on this, like I kind of just went out and found people by almost faith cause I had to um, and just figured it out. But um, he, he, he actually started a artist website uh, that was geared towards artists five years before YouTube and they were on their way up. And then his uh, the person that was his co-founder who, who, who was a little more technical than him at that time, just had a mental breakdown and disappeared and like <laughs> and so they went from being pre-youtube to ending the company uh it it's amazing how fragile things happen from the team like what could you i mean you couldn't anticipate that i guess so what would you have done differently knowing what you know now going forward like what what would you have done like what so as a founder like me that hears this and is, is now uh not worried but like at least he's just his eyes are open like what how, how does one prepare for this I'd have spent more time working with the team and building the product and making and, and, and feeling out the team, right? Because like if he had left two, three months in at that point, it'd have probably been more salvageable, right? right? But he left like I already shot my shot to get money from these investors pre-product, right? So like I'm 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 raising money on reputation. We're in this right. accelerator, got everybody excited, like. All of that plummeted. If, if I had to spend more time working with the team, working on the foundation of the product, all, all the other pieces were still would have been there. Sure. Right. And so, but the moment you take money, that acceleration button gets hit. Right. Yeah. I, I'd have probably waited a little longer to hit that button. But at the time, you know, I was just overzealous and just running, 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 ready to get to the next thing. So you just didn't know, like, in terms of he, why did he or she leave, they leave just because they just didn't want to do the work or they found a better opportunity or what was it? Because I'm just trying to learn from a private founder point of view, because there are some, I understand founder, co-founder tensions. Like, what, what what was the reason, if you can share? I don't know. Oh, wow. He just told we you. Just, to we just showed up one day. He was gone and didn't respond to no emails, no, no calls, no nothing. I didn't hear from him for two Like, literally... We spoke to him one night and then the next day didn't speak to him for two years. Like it was just, just like wow. that. And so that, that, that was the tough, that was the tough part about it. Right. What I think happened was, cause me and him never talked about it, but what I think happened was when I put the team together, it was like, this is a cool project, nice and weekend. Yeah, we could do this. And then like within three weeks of that, it's like, all right, everybody quit your job. We're moving to Philadelphia. We're living in the one bedroom. Yeah. Off. We got some money go. It's like, oh, yeah, we got some money, but everybody's going to get barely enough to cover their bills because this money is really for the product and everything else. But we'll make it work and everybody, will, you know, we'll make all the money in the long end. I think that shift from nights and weekends to like, this is a startup, he wasn't ready for. Got it. And then also like the security of having a good job to go into like live the startup life. Like for me, I, I'd already done it for the last four years. So right. like, I'm already here. Right. For him, he's like. Mm, I still make, you know, 
200K a year during this coding thing. So So it sounds like having some really upfront, direct conversations with your co-founder about expectations and understanding your co-founder's motivation is is really key if you're going to have a co-founder, it sounds like. Um, would you say that you would have done that differently and just get, got a really good understanding of what his expectations were to, and, and really understood that and had a backup for him if you would have known that he wasn't ready to do that? Here's the problem, though. We had those conversations. Oh, well, I don't know what you do about it. Yeah, it's, like, it's the thing. Like, people will tell you all the things you want to hear. It's all cool and exciting when it's like, you know, yeah, this is dope. We're all in it. Nice weekends. But then, like, four grown men living in a one-bedroom loft over right. top of a Chinese food store in West Philadelphia in the middle of the hood, you know, taking the train back and forth yeah. for the Drexel every day for an accelerator. Like, so that's a very different thing. It's a very different thing. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it is. So I get it. I get it. So, but that, this was your second company. This is interesting. So the yes. one that was not successful was the one on your second time around when you had more knowledge and it just tells you like part of this is timing and opportunity, right? I mean, it's like, it's some, sometimes people that uh, did Mark Zuckerberg really know what the hell he was doing when he carried his company. I don't think he did. Right? Hell no. <laughs> hell no. I'll say this, right? The other thing that came with that was we probably could have weathered the storm and figured something out if I had been mentally there. Got it. Right. Like, like that was kind of like the last straw of like, I'm already like hanging on the thread. You know, I just went through this, this, this first startup and had to go through all this stuff and broke for a while, all this. And that was just like the final piece of like, I can't do it anymore. Right. And that was like the beginning, like after that company folded, I basically spent like six months in my house and didn't want to talk to anybody. I was like, I was depressed. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, failure sucks. Failure does suck. And, and it's, it's something, especially when it's public and people like I've, I ran, I've ran for office twice and I've failed twice. Right. So I, I, I understand the nature of doing things publicly and then falling short, especially on the second time around. Like when you feel like you've done everything you should have done, you prepared accordingly and still things don't turn out as you, we're told that when you work the hardest, you get things in place, it'll all turn out that uh, maybe eventually, but it doesn't, the path doesn't look that way. The path is usually a line that goes up and down and up and down. And hopefully you get to a point where you have more ups than downs, but you will have downs. Um, okay. So like, what is your why for starting? So you've had that, uh, you, you, you've had that experience. Uh, actually, let me, let me change course a little bit. What, so, so you learn, you learn from both of those experiences what is the, I would say the why that is moving you to be in venture capital? Like why, what, what, why are you doing venture capital now versus just being a founder again, which I'm sure you could still be a, been a successful founder because you've had enough experience to do that. Like why, why are you, why are you in venture capital? Like, why do you think this is your, your place to make your mark? Because of the impact I can make. Like I can, there's so many other things I could do to make way more money. Like, I could make so much more money being an operator or, you know, joining a company. Like there's so many other things I can do, but I can never make the same level of impact. Right. You know, take for an example, um, a 17 year old black kid from Baltimore who's got an idea for a startup who knows technologies. He's a whiz kid. You know, where does he go for funding? You know, I made an investment in a founder like that, who's now gone through Y Combinator, raised money from Paul Graham, the founder of YC, you know, is raising an A round right now. 
I don't know if his company exists today without somebody like me around. Now, yeah. is he smart enough where he would figure something out eventually? Probably, right? But there's a bunch of other founders who might not. Right. And so being able to give those founders the opportunity to create amazing companies when everybody else says no, the impact made there is, is why I'm going to spend my, my, the rest of my life doing this. Yeah, I, I heard your... Um or listen to your story on YouTube about the the founder that you met that had this great idea. She's a, a, a single black woman. And, you know, and then she approached you about like, I, I got the money to get the, to get, to get the, to, to make this happen. And, you know, you, you said that she actually was, uh, uh, became a surrogate mother and gave birth to twins for somebody else. I mean, I shouldn't laugh at this. That's crazy, but I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know what to make of it, but it's like, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's just insane that, that that had to happen for her to have the resources that she needed. So, so that, I can I can talk about this publicly because I don't say it in that message. Okay. But here's the crux of that story, right? Like, yes, she's a single mom, black woman in Baltimore who's got this idea, decided she had to become a surrogate mother to get funding to start building her prototype after three years of getting nothing but notes. And I was actively trying to help her at that time. Right. I couldn't get her money, even, even though I was running a program for somebody like her. But here's the crux of it, right? From an investment standpoint, you know what that woman was building or what she is building? She's in the process of building the world's first tumble dryer that can dry a wig or hair weave in 15 minutes with no heat. Mm. That'll, is, that'll get funded. I mean, that, that'll get funded. That'll make money. She gets that out there. So that'll get. But nobody could want it to back her. And that was the crazy part. Like, you don't get to see ideas that innovative and that unique every day. Right. And you, you can't tell me she's not qualified. She's got an engineering degree from Morgan. She's got a master's from Johns Hopkins. And she was a patent examiner. She's a yep. freaking engineer. What she does is build stuff. And she was building a product specifically for her community. You know why she got the idea? Because she was getting a weed put in and she had to drop it off. Because at she's, 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 experienced the, she's experienced it. I mean, there's no better founder right. than that's experienced the problem that they're trying to solve. She understands it. And she had to become a surrogate mother to fund that idea. Like, that's wow, bananas. Wow. That's insane. Uh, that is bananas. It's a hell of an idea, though. And, I, and it, it will make money as soon as she gets it out to market. There's no question about that. I can definitely see a lot of people, I'm not calling any names, that be using it, so I'll stop there. <laughs> um, you, 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 have a, you have something on your website that, many, that you say many, many VCs, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, you know, focus so much on deal flow and cash flow that they don't really look outside of those circles and see opportunities like the woman you just talked about. Um, but how do you keep yourself grounded so that, because you have to obviously probably raise money from some of these same sources, how do you keep yourself grounded in the mission when you have to also spend a lot of time in those circles to probably raise funds for your VC? It's, it can be difficult at times, right? Sure. Um, it's kind of like, like being in politics. Like I know this, like people have this idea when they start off, it's like, all right, I'm going to be there. I'm going to spend all my time with the constituents and they spend all their time raising money. So like, how do you, how do you keep yourself grounded? Uh, to your mission, because I think it's a great mission, but I think it's easy to lose your North Star, as you would say, when you have to f focus on a circle that doesn't care about your North Star. 
uh, what really keeps you grounded is the entrepreneurs themselves. Like if you really do this work, it's not something where you can sit back and just wait for people to send you deals. Like there are VCs out there who just get deals from the network and get deals sent to them. But like when you spend time in these communities, you spend time supporting these founders, you spend time, you know, mentoring, helping them with their debt, going through financial stuff like that. You keep getting reminded, right? Like, you know, when you when you go to those off the beaten path accelerators and you go speak to these amazing founders, that's what keeps you grounded. That's what keeps your North Star, you know. When you meet a founder building something incredible, you're like, yo, nobody else sees this? Like that's that's money. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. Um, there's like like a company like like you know, like I support um black girl ventures. Um, my homegirl Shelly Bell out there doing amazing work. And in one of her sessions, I was you know, helping a group of ladies with their pitches. And there was one, there was a woman in the group, her name was Peach Brown. And she has a company called Sledge, Sledge Scarves. So if you go to sledgescarves.com, you'll see her stuff. And she basically created a satin scarf that doesn't come off at night. Like, I, you know, I have locks. I've had hair since 02. Yeah. You know, I've I've worn the satin head scarf. They always come off. They never they stay They always on. do. They always do. It, it, it never, she literally created a satin scarf that doesn't come off at night, that she makes by hand herself and sells on her website. Like, that's, that's just incredible. Yeah. Right? And so, like, when you get to meet founders like that, who, you know, when you talk, when I first talked to her, you know, she didn't know anything about this industry or what was going on. It's like, helping people like her keeps you grounded. Yeah. And you also talk about investing in, in pre-seed companies mm-hmm. requires conviction, right? Like how do you how do you how do you how do you evaluate conviction? Like just conviction for you or you got to see conviction from the founders. Like how explain what you mean by by that. It's got to be conviction from me because every company that you know just generally speaking from a VC standpoint, right? Every company we invest in has to have the potential to get to a billion dollar valuation. It's kind of like the starting point. Like it has to have the potential right. to do that, right? And so if you're going to invest at pre-seed and you know you're investing really early or being one of the first checks in, then you and, and you can only write so many of those checks. Sure. Right. Look over a three-year time span, I'm going to write 30 to 40 checks, right? Well, if you do 30 checks over three years, that's averages out to 10 checks a year. Right. I'm going to see close to 3,000 companies a year. So wow. every year, you're going to go from 3,000 to 10. Yep. <laughs> right? <laughs> and every single one of those 10, that is me putting my career on the line. Because, like, I need some hits. I need some You got to have some hits. You got to have at least one. <laughs> got at, at minimum. At minimum. And so... Every time I make an investment, I got to believe that you that this founder and this company truly has the potential to be worth a billion. And, you know, it's not often we're going to write a, a, a check to a company's pre-product or pre-revenue. Very rarely happens. But when it does, like, you know, the woman making the wig dryer, like, I got to believe and see that vision as much, if not more than the founder. Right. Right. It's almost like, you know, there's a great story about, you know, Uber when they were raising money, you know, they were already doing well and they were starting to grow and, you know, they had their market slide and, you know, everybody's debating their market slide. So one of their investors came back. It's like, you miscalculated your market. Your market's probably 10 X, what you're not, what you're putting up here. Cause you're actually growing 
the market. The market isn't taxis. You're fundamentally changing the way people think about transportation. Yep. And so your market's actually significantly larger. And so that's why we're making the investment. That investor had a larger conviction in the future of that company than the founders themselves in that moment. Wow. Right? Right. Now, that was all data points that he put together, right? But still, like, as an investor, if I can get to that kind of conviction, then we got something, you know? Yeah. So what's the most important skill set you look for in a founder then? Mm. The most important skill set is, it's a vague one, but it's the ability to execute Right. That's a pretty important one. You know, founders are always when they meet with investors are going to tell us about all the things they plan to do, they're going to do over the next, you know, three to six months. It's like, okay, now let me see you do it. Right. Very few people actually execute and make those things happen. Right. Um, and within execution, you know, anybody who listens to me knows like customer acquisition is like the one I, I harp on a lot. Right. Um, I don't necessarily care how great your product is. Having a great product does not mean you're going to win. It helps. It's not a bad thing to have. Yep. But if you have a great product and don't know how to get customers, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that that I agree. So what do you what do you look at? You've had some experience with customer acquisition. What 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 advice do you give founders when they're approaching about how to go about customer acquisition? Try to be as creative as you can. And like you usually have one or two things. You either have time or money. Whichever one's the one you have is the one you use. Right. And very often, a lot of the founders this stage don't have money. So you use your time and get creative. And the founders are going to be like, well, so easy for you to say, Mac, what do you think I should do? And I'll be like, well, for my first company, the way I got my first couple hundred customers was I just randomly tweeted people, not randomly, but like my first company was a play um, platform for people to crowdfund money for gifts. And so I would go on Twitter every day and look for people talking about their birthday and I would tweet at them. That is literally how we got our first couple hundred customers. Um, when I did my second company, which was an e commerce platform, <laughs> I um, was created an Instagram page and just reposted products from sellers that I liked. And what happens is if you repost their products, they will always like and comment on it. And 30% of your like and of the other likes and comments will come from other sellers and bloggers. And so I use that to create myself a nice long spreadsheet and then use that to create an email marketing campaign to sign up sellers. I signed up 120 sellers in two weeks, pre-product, right? Yep. Willing there to pay go. $20 a month, right? Like, like, None of those things cost money. It took right. time, a lot of time, yep. right? And dedication and like learning about stuff that I didn't necessarily want to learn about. But like, if I didn't do that, nothing, nothing was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. No, that, that, that you have to go out there and get the customers there. I know this from experience too. It's knowing where they are, understanding where they might be and what their motivations are and then going out there and getting them. I mean, that's just what you got to do. And it, I know this from experience, like running for political office has really helped be, become uh, with uh, being a founder. Cause I know that it's, I mean, from, uh, I had to spend time on the phone and spend time just getting to people and just doing whatever it took to, to, to make sure that, that I could reach them. It's the same, it's the same thing for a founder. You have to just go out there and find your people. They're not going to find you. They're not, they're not coming. You got to go find them. Um, let's see you, you, the culture of venture capital. I, I assume you want to actually change that. How do you, how do you approach how do you have the conversation when you're talking to some of these players that have a have a mindset about what your non-traditional founders are? Uh, they might see it as charity. Uh, how do you cha change their mindset that this is an investment? These are talented uh, entrepreneurs, talented founders that are being overlooked. How do you have that conversation from someone who doesn't understand that perspective? Because they probably don't. This is why you have a. This is why you have rare breeds. I don't like. 
I'm not going to change that person's mind in this conversation, right? Because fundamentally, what a VC is, is we are money managers. I am a glorified financial advisor, <laughs> right? That's all I am. Some wealthy person out there, a group of wealthy people gave me their money to make them more money. Right. That is my job. So if I'm talking to somebody, it's like you making those type of investments is charity means they don't believe that these type of investments can make money. And so the only way I answer that is investing in founders and having those founders have wins, right? Yep. Outside of those founders get wins. does like our conversation is not going to go anywhere. I can't change your mind in that situation. Those founders, when they win and they're super successful, then I can just show you like the portfolio and the data. Like, well, you know, you said it was charity, but you know, I've had like, when I tell the story about the woman with the wig dryer, I've yeah. had so many people tell me like, that sounds like social impact. Or that sounds like charity. Like, I don't, I, I don't really see, I don't see how, how that I, makes money. Do they know how much money no, they black don't. women spend on their hair? Like they have no clue. They don't want to. <laughs> that's, that's, that's crazy. They, they, they have no clue and they don't want to know. And they don't want to understand. That's fine. But that's why when I invest early and she gets some early wins and gets some great marketing and, you know, get some great numbers, that'll lead to them having to reevaluate. Uh, how long, how far along is she on this? Have you, have you guys tried to connect with P&G Ventures? That sounds like something they, they might be interested in. Uh, it's in the, it's a consumer product. Uh, have you tried to connect with them on P&G Ventures? No, we haven't. Um, I have a connection there if you'd like to, if you like, if you, if you, if you, if you like me to make it. I would love that connection. Okay. I'll make but, that uh, connection. There's, there's going to be, gonna be a big announcement from her coming really soon. Okay, good. I'm super excited. There's something big coming really soon. All right, but I'll definitely make that connection. I mean, that's what we're about here. So we'll definitely make that connection. If, uh, they're one of our sponsors. PNG Ventures has been great. Um, and so I will definitely do that. That sounds like something. I mean, they're in the, they're in the, they're in the black hair care uh, industry and they've made a ton of money doing it. They do understand it because they made a lot of money <laughs> off of it. So they get it. All right. Um, I have a couple of lightning round questions. Uh, what's okay. an important truth you have that very few people agree with you on? An important truth that I have that very few people agree with me on that it's possible to have a strong, a, it's possible to have a very successful venture firm making larger dollar investments at the pre-seed stage. Okay. I, I don't know how many people, I, I think very few people agree with that, but we're out here to prove it. All right. Look forward to you proving that. You have a you have a group of three of advisors advising you on life, business, whatever. Who are these three people and why? Three people. Um, Charles Hudson from Precursor Ventures, because he's amazing and you know, he's helped me a lot on this journey. Elizabeth Yen from Hustle Fund, because she's awesome and she's helped me out tremendously on this journey. And then a gentleman by the name of Vince Talbert, who sold the company to PayPal for a billion dollars years ago. Um, he was, he's been a mentor of mine for the last decade or so and just helped me tremendously. All right. What is, what do you think is an essential habit or, or routine that you have, any that you have that you think has helped you become the successful person that you are today? The routine I have now. This is this is a fairly newer routine. So I don't know how much it's helped me become successful, but it's helping me a lot more now. And that's just reading more. Um, I actually do audio books now. So, I do too. I do solely audio almost. Yeah. And so my goal now is to try to get to 50 books a year. Right. And and mostly nonfiction. 
you know, really diving in deep because what you realize, like listening to interviews and reading about very wealthy and famous people is that there's this through line of reading. Like all these successful people just consume tons of knowledge. And so that, that constant learning is, is really big. So what are some books you got some top, top two or three books you recommend? Um, why should white guys, too. why should white guys have all the fun? That's um, Reginald Lewis. Yeah. Reginald F. Lewis. Um, and then also uh, the color of money. It's okay. a book about the history of um, black banks in America. Okay. Um, and then for anybody who hasn't read this, you might've read it in school. I would suggest go back and read it again. The alchemist. Okay. Like as an adult, it means so much more. I promise. All right. All right. Cool. All right. Great. Rec- uh, some really good recommendations. Final question here. You have a, you have a billboard, a Google ad to be 21st century that says your theme or saying in life, what does that say and why? Uh, saying in life. Your slogan. Never pick commerce over conscience, mm. which is a hard thing to do. And I admit it, it's an extremely hard thing to do. Especially you're a venture capitalist, but go ahead. <laughs> but there, there will be moments in life, especially in an industry like this, where you have to make those hard decisions. And I promise you, if you make the decision that's right for you morally, you'll be better for it in the long run. I mean, I agree. And it's, I know as people say, it sounds like it's easy. It's not easy, but um, I can just tell you that if you guide yourself by a moral compass that you, that, that you, that you stick to in the long run, I didn't say it'd be easy because in the short run, it is, it is easy to probably just sell out and go for it. But in the long run, I can say it's definitely been more valuable uh, to, to, to follow that path than to just follow every transaction because you'll be all over the place anyway. Then you'll find yourself not stable and extremely unhappy because if you, if you want to chase money, it, it, it runs, one, two. <laughs> and then you'll never be satisfied if it's just about the money. Like I'm not, I'm not saying people don't need money. You need money. You need to figure out a way because I believe in business. Figure out cash flow. Like, I think you figure out your why and immediately pivot to how you're going to cash flow it so you can make the why a reality, right? Right. So I believe it's starting from your why and then having a pivot to how does that why connect to a how, which means money. And the two don't have to be separated from each other. I, I think they are actually related and the greatest companies in the world figure that out. But very few companies, I think, do those things together because it's very hard to follow, uh, to follow a conscious uh, over capital. Because people will just try to make the shortcut. Because I think that's a sh- like, and, and the great example I go to is Apple. Apple, if had Apple taken the shortcut, uh, they wouldn't be Apple. Because uh, uh, all the phone providers told them to change their, I'm sure you know this, told them to change their models when they initially came out with the iPhone. They said, no, look, we're doing this because we believe this is going to help more users and empowers users and we're disrupting how the whole industry is done. So, okay, bye. And we just, and so, all the other providers turned them down except for AT&T, limiting the amount of sales they could have to about a million. But a trillion dollar company later, they made the right decision. Made the right decision. <laughs> yep. Matt Conwell, brother, I appreciate you, man. Uh, please stay connected. Uh, I'd love to have you actually come to some of our Disruption Now summits. We we have summits connecting um, uh, founders really across the country. We uh, focus on diverse founders. We welcome everybody, but we our central focus is on diverse black and brown founders. Uh, would love to have you come out. I, I really, I really uh, uh, appreciate it having you on the show. It's been great. I appreciate what you're doing. 
and uh, look forward to connecting with you more, brother. Sounds awesome, man. Looking forward to it. And yeah, you got me for one of those summits for sure. All right, brother. Appreciate you, man. I'll be in touch. Talk soon.